Well, I'm blessed to be here. Um, it's just an honor and, and a privilege to be here. And, and really what God's doing in this church in Calvary Chapel, Palos Verdes, and I've been practicing that pronunciation to make sure I get it right, you know, because it'd be Palos Verdes for us in Peru. Um, but it, it's, it's just a, such a blessing to, to be here and obviously love Daniel and his wife, Leah, and their family. And we've been friends for a long time. But, you know, we my wife and I, uh, my wife's name is Danielle, she's here with me, and we have four beautiful kids, and we have lived in Peru now just over a decade, so we've lived in Peru for a little over 10 years, and uh, we have planted a church, and then we started what's called Calvary Bible Institute, which is a Bible college, missions training, and church planting program all wrapped into one, and, and um, our organization in the United States is called Gospel South America, and our vision is to fulfill the Great Commission through the planting of healthy Bible teaching churches in South America and beyond. That's our heart, that's our calling, and, and that's our, our passion. And so we're, we're excited to be here. Daniel's actually on the board of our organization, so it's a wonderful partnership. But as we're training our, our church planters and they're going through our church planting program and through our Bible school, we talk about this work. We talk about what God has done here in Palos Verdes as an encouragement of what the Holy Spirit can do in a community because it's amazing what God is, is doing here. And um, so love it here, uh, you know, love all the things, the marriage counseling. I signed up my wife for that as well, so <laughs> no, just kidding. But uh, no, it, you know, and I knew that this was a very uh, multicultural church, but it's beautiful to be here. It's beautiful to be here and just see the body of Christ from every different background and every different you know, uh, history, and it just, I, I was thinking about it this morning, that it reminds me of the church in Antioch that you read about in the book of Acts, and they had people, it talks about Paul and Barnabas and Silas, and there were people from all over the world, really, of that, that known world that time that had come and gathered as one body, as one team, ministering to the Lord, and that became, like, the example church, Really, that's my favorite church in, in the book of Acts. That's where global missions take off. That's where the Holy Spirit separates Paul and Barnabas, and they begin to go to Asia Minor into Europe, and, and Paul will say, you know, I, I don't want to build on anyone other's foundation. I want to go where Christ has not been named. And, and I just think there's, God's doing something very special here in this church where you have people from all over the world, all different backgrounds coming together because of the love of Jesus Christ to worship the Lord and who knows? Who knows what God wants to do through this fellowship? So it's just beautiful, and we're super excited to, to be here. Um, we started in Peru, uh, but we are now um, planting churches in our city of Trujillo, which is a million-person city where we have the Bible College and the church planting program, uh, church planting training. But we've planted churches in the Amazon jungle. We've begun to uh, also we develop, we're launching our, uh, our second Bible Institute, our church planting training and Bible school in Brazil, and that's because we feel called to South America, and South America has 440 million people that live there, and 220 million of them speak Portuguese and live in Brazil. So we have Calvary Bible Institute Peru, as well as now Calvary Bible Institute Brazil, reaching both Spanish speakers and Portuguese speakers, but then works that are, are expanding into Bolivia, into Chile, into Argentina, into Ecuador, into Venezuela. Uh, Venezuela is a very challenging place right now, uh, but at one point our church was more than 50% in Venezuela because of all the, uh, the, the immigrants that were coming in, leaving, leaving Venezuela, and now we have a church and one of uh, he's a Timothy in the faith to me, faith to me, but we love him, Angel and his wife Jenny, and they have planted their own church, and now it's actually we have like a Venezuelan church in Peru. It's a beautiful thing, but it's a, that that's our heart is is planting churches, developing pastors, developing missionaries, so that they can bring the gospel and the love of Christ all throughout South America, and that's what. That's what Gospel South America is all about. But I do have a video that I that'll just show you some pictures of first our church and then the different works as we're obeying the Great Commission. So why don't we cue that up and we can take a look at that.
so that just gives you a quick picture, yeah, of what God is doing in South America uh, through Gospel South America, our organization that's the umbrella for all of these different works. And it's really amazing uh, for us to think about what God has done since we started. My wife and I, we actually um, come from Northern California. Some of you may have heard of Mendocino County. It's way up there north of San Francisco, small town called Fort Bragg. And uh, we, were, we were sent out 10 years ago because we believe God was calling us. Um, we had $400 a month and a one-way ticket. We didn't speak Spanish. Uh, we didn't have any kids at that time. Now all of our kids are, are uh, born in Peru and dual citizens. Um, but the, the, one of the verses that the Lord really gave us is when God is describing the situation in Israel uh, through the prophet Hosea. And in Hosea 4, 6, he says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And, and he talks about them rejecting the knowledge of God and the law of God. And for us, um, as we prayed, and my wife's wanted to be a missionary since, I got it wrong earlier, I said 10 first service, since she was six. So since she was six years old, she, she's just loved missions and had a heart for that. But as I went to South America and God began to put this calling, I did a short-term mission trip to Chile. We saw people who desperately needed Jesus, but they didn't have a place where they could go and they could know God. They didn't have a church that was going to teach them the word of God. They didn't have a place where they could know the love and the grace of Jesus Christ and come to know him through the word. And you just saw so many people suffering, so many people hurting, so many lives being destroyed. And it just, it's, it's exactly what it says in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And not in the knowledge of university, but in the knowledge of God, in the knowledge of his word, in the knowledge of scripture. And in Hosea 4, 1, actually says, there is no truth or mercy or knowledge of God in the land. Excuse me. And that's what we, we felt like we were, we were seeing in South America and through the world. And, and, and the calling for gospel South America really was to go and to feed those sheep, those weary and scattered and harassed and hurting sheep that were in South America, the word of God, so that they might know Jesus. And that's, that's our calling. And so we want to... We have planted our own church and begin to plant other churches, and we're working with different leaders and pastors in, in most of the countries in South America to develop pastors, to develop missionaries, to develop teams where we can have churches that are going to teach the scripture and then show them the love and grace of God. Because that's what transforms a life. You know, you think of Jesus. He was full of two things, it says. He was full of grace, and he was full of truth. And when you have a church that is filled with grace and truth, the word of God and the love and the grace of God, it transforms lives. It, you, we've seen it in our church and we've seen it in these other churches. And it's so exciting when we plant a new church. We just planted one last year and uh, Cal Calvary Chapel Palos Verdes helped us do this actually. But in uh, the oldest uh, Spanish established city in, in the Peruvian jungle called Moyobamba and there are people coming and they're just falling in love with Jesus and their lives are getting changed and they're, they're coming to know the scripture and it's like they didn't have a place to go and now they do. And it's just incredible, incredible to see that. So that is our calling and, and today we're gonna look at Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Uh, I wanna introduce you to some of the different works that we're doing and then my prayer is that we will be touched by the word of the Lord, that, that we will begin to see the world through the eyes of Jesus with his compassion, with his love, and then also see that we are all called to be a part of this great commission. So that's what we're gonna do today. Why don't we pray before we get started and then we'll jump into Matthew 28, okay? Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you that we can be here, that we can hear from you through your word and to be able to see the things that you are doing all over the world, God. So I just wanna pray this morning, Lord. I want to ask, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears and our minds and then our hearts, Lord, that we might hear the word that you have for it, what the Spirit has to say to his church this morning, and that you would touch our hearts, Lord, and that we would respond to this great commission, to this great need in the whole world for you, and that we would understand and know that you have called us to be a part of that, Lord. So thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can gather, Lord. Thank you that by your spirit, we are, uh, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, Lord, but we are all one in Christ, God. And 
one day we're going to be in heaven and just worshiping every tribe and every tongue and every nation, Lord. And we want as many people to be there as possible because you want as many people to be there as possible. So speak to our hearts, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think most of you probably open, but I'm going to open up to, to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And there are many great commission verses, but uh, Matthew 28 might be the most famous one. You can couple that with what you see at the end of the Gospel of Mark in Mark 16, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, as well as the beginning of, of the book of Acts. Acts 1.8 is a famous verse we're going to see later. And then you see the continuation and the execution of this great, com- uh, great commission throughout the book of Acts as Paul and many others are preaching the Gospels, teaching the Scriptures, making disciples, and establishing churches all over the known world. That's really how the Great Commission is fulfilled in the book of Acts. But here... Jesus, this is after he's been crucified, after he has been resurrected, he is now showing himself to his disciples and he's preparing to ascend to the right hand of the Father. And he said he's gonna come back in the same way that he ascends. But until then, he gives us a commission. He gives us a mission. As his followers, as his children, he has something that he wants us to be busy in until he returns. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 18 of chapter 20, just three verses here. And it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you even to the end of the age." This is an incredible, incredible set of verses. It's part of my DNA, but it is something that that God wants us all to be involved in as his followers, as his children, as his disciples. And it starts there, and Jesus comes. And Jesus is the Lord of lords, right? He is the king of kings. And someone described to me once, when we think of Lord of lords, one of the best ways we can think of it is like a five-star general. This is the general, this is the boss, and everybody is under him regarding authority. And so the five-star general comes to me, the servant, or maybe we would think of it as the private. And if a general comes and gives a responsibility or a command to the private, can you imagine the private saying, well, let me, let me re- think about that if I'm actually in agreement with if I should you know, clean the bath. That's not how it goes, right? If the general speaks to the private, those of you who have been in the military, my father-in-law was in the Marines for 11 years, you know, there is no conversation there. There is simply, yes, that is what I am going to do. Yes, Lord, or yes, sir, or yes, general. And I have a friend, he's a pastor in Nevada, and actually his license plate has seven letters. Yes, Lord. He says, that's the only way I know how to respond when Jesus tells me something to do. He is my Lord. He is my general. He is my commander. And he is God, and he is good, and he is love, and he knows everything. So when he speaks... I want to do what he says. And so Jesus, the Lord of Lord, comes and he starts it as he speaks to his disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So, so God the Father has given this authority to Jesus Christ, God the Son, the creator of the universe. And, and we've, we've talked a lot about authority or we thought of a lot about authority in the last few years. You know, There have been pandemics and there have been mandates and I don't want to get in, into any of those details but we have all had to consider how we're going to respond to different mandates, different commands, to different authorities. And we've had to consider what does that mean for me personally. I know in, in Peru we had to make a lot of decisions that were very difficult that made us think about what, where, where does our ultimate authority lie? Where is our ultimate allegiance lie. And Jesus comes and says, I supersede every authority in heaven and earth. He is the creator. He has all authority over all of the governments. You know, even, even Satan isn't allowed to do anything without permission of God. It says that the, he holds the, the hearts of the kings in his hand. We see his authority over creation. We, we see that in Genesis that, that God speaks and creates the universe, but we see it in the Gospels, you know, when Jesus comes and he restores the withered hand, or when his disciples are in the temple and they tell the, the man who can't walk to, to stand up and rise, or when he cleanses a leper. You know, normally, if, even if someone could recover from a serious injury, they have to do physical therapy and rehab and all of those things. Jesus doesn't have to do that. Because he has authority over every cell and every body, over every piece of creation. And if he thinks it or commands it or desires it, it is. 
because he has authority over every aspect of this creation, over every aspect of this universe. And so now he comes to us, his followers, his disciples, and he says, look, above every, any, any governor or king or, or government or, or president or above anything else, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. And with that authority, with the authority of Jesus Christ, the creator of the universe, the Lord of lords, this is the mission I have for you as my followers. That's the strength of what he's trying to communicate here. And he says there, with this authority, verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And, and in the Greek, if you, if you look up the go, the idea is as you're going. It's, it's an assumed that we're going to be going and following in the mission and in the heart of Jesus. But as we're going, as we're following, that we would be making disciples. In Mark 16, it says, preach the gospel. In Acts chapter one, it says, being his witness or his ambassador of the truth and of the love and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we are commanded in this authority to go and to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And then it says, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I, I love this. I love the idea of making a disciple is making someone who is going to follow and be like their master. It's, it's teaching the scripture so they might know Jesus, but also baptism. Now, you guys, it's awesome because you guys are having a baptism next Sunday, correct? You know? And I want to encourage, if, if you're thinking about it and you're not sure, you need to do it, okay? Baptism is not for perfect people. Baptism is for people who believe in Jesus. But it is a very important step in the life of a, of a believer. And I didn't realize how important until I became a missionary Baptism doesn't save, but it's how we identify with the death and resurrection of Jesus and we proclaim to the world that I have decided to follow Jesus, that I belong to him. And when people make that decision or don't make that decision, it can often be a huge encouragement in their faith or a huge discouragement to their faith. When, they, when, they, when you take that step and you, and you get baptized, it's like, yes, this is my family. This is where I belong to whereas where the enemy is going to discourage, by the way, every week before we have a baptism, I get all sorts of stories of people who have family issues coming up, who have discouragement and depression and unsurety because Satan doesn't want you to make that step. He doesn't want you to, to, to declare that and to settle the issue in your heart that you have decided to follow Jesus. But it's so important. It's so important. So Jesus says, go preach the gospel, make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. But I love verse 20. Because verse 20 falls right in line with what we believe at Calvary Chapel, what we believe as a, 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 as a ministry and a mission called to plant churches. Because it says in verse 20, to teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is Jesus speaking. So I want you to teach everything I have commanded you. So part of the Great Commission is teaching the Word of God. Because Jesus is what? He is the Word, according to John chapter 1. So this is his living word to us. And so if you want to know all that Jesus has commanded, it's right here in the Bible. This is what he has commanded. This is his word. And so as part of the Great Commission, we want to go and teach the word of God, teach the whole word of God to everybody that we come in contact with. And that's why we, we feel called to fulfill the Great Commission through what we think is, is, is a very biblical model, which is through planting churches that are going to teach the word excuse me, and love those people with the love and grace of God. And that is that, that great commission, going and teaching, but we can't forget the wonderful promise that we see at the end of that. And he says, behold, I am with you even to the end of the age. And to fulfill, to obey the Lord and to follow him does not, it doesn't, I was gonna say it doesn't guarantee an easy life. In fact, it guarantees that there will be challenges and obstacles. That's the guarantee. But what he promises is that he will be with us that his presence will be with us. And there has been times where my wife and I have absolutely wanted to quit, where it's been so challenging, we just weren't sure if we could continue to do this. We live in Peru. Uh, we have four kids. My wife homeschools them. We don't have any family with us. We started in Trujillo. Uh, with, there was nothing there. There was no pre-work. We started from absolutely zero in a, in a, it's a, it's a desert city, and uh, it was known as very challenging and, and a lot of other things. Um, but I never forget uh, being back on a furlough. I was actually in a missions conference, and there was worship playing, and I was very much struggling with should I continue in this or not. And the Lord came and spoke to me, and, and it's just in the quietness of my heart, 
he just spoke to my heart and said, I love you and you are my son. And that's what I needed. That's what I needed to remember, that no matter what happens, even if the whole work fails, God is my father and he will never leave me nor forsake me. He is with me no matter what happens and his love is always, and that was just like the encouragement and the rest and the strength to say, that's what matters and I can move forward with all the challenges. And that's the promise. That's the promise right here that he will be with us. But this is the great commission. This is what he has called us to do. And he has called us all to be a part of this preaching the gospel, making disciples, teaching the word of God because he loves this whole world. He loves the people here in Palos Verdes, California, Peru, and to the ends of the earth. That's the great commission. And, you know, I love the verse, and and I have it up here, and we're going to see it later, but Hudson Taylor, the great missionary to inland China, um, one of my heroes and done more for Christianity or the cause of Christ than just about anybody outside of, you know, Jesus and a few others, I think, but he said, the great commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. It's not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. So with that, let me just show you some of the things that we're doing that I pray will be an encouragement and an inspiration. And we're going to close it out by hoping, hopefully seeing the compassion that Christ has for this world that would become our compassion and our passion, but also the calling that God has for all of us here, for all of you here today to be a part of this great commission. So uh, I think we've got it up here. This is my family. So my wife is here. Um, and these are our four kids. That's Abigail and Noah and Isabella and Sophia. So they were all born in Peru. Um, the oldest, she was actually born at 9,000 feet in the Andes Mountains. Uh, in a small clinic with, and my wife had no uh, pain medicine of any kind, and it was quite an experience for us, but she turned out beautiful and healthy. And, uh, and then Isa there in the, in the black uh, dress, she uh, has been with our family for about a year. Um, her mom was backpacking from Argentina and got pregnant and had a baby, but then died suddenly. And so we have welcomed her as part of our family. We're her foster parents legally. And we are in the process of adoption. And, and this is one of our, our prayer requests for you guys. Please pray. Our whole family probably would be here this morning if Issa was legally adopted. But she can't leave the country until she's part of our family. So we left him with another missionary couple that's part of our ministry. So a little nervous, a little nerve-wracking. First time I've ever left him in Peru, but they're, they're doing good. But uh, this is our family, and uh, we're just waiting for Issa to get her uh, to become part of our family so that she, that she can come and, and visit us. But please pray for that. This is our church in Trujillo, Peru. As I said before, it's the largest city in the north of Peru. So this is Calvary Trujillo. This is the hub. This is the base. So here we do our church planting program where we're training both uh, Latino and then also mission-minded English speakers to, to be either the, the church planter, the lead, or part of a team. We're developing teams to fulfill the Great Commission through church planting. We also have Calvary Bible Institute as part of our church. But it's a beautiful church, and really, as people come and they're able to know the Word of God and to know the love of God, this, it changes their lives. But then this church becomes the model for the other churches that we want to plant throughout the continent, and that's already beginning to happen. So this is a, a picture of our church. We have, I mean, we have, we've had baptisms, lots of baptisms, just beautiful stories. This is uh, Gracia, our grace, and that's a wonderful story. This is one of my favorite stories. This is Luis. He's uh, the top uh, mixed martial artist in the north of Peru, and he, he owns his own gym, and he fights, uh, you know, UFC-style fighting. And he comes to our church, and his life gets transformed, and I got to baptize him. And now he's a full-time student at Calvary Bible Institute, as well as taking our church planting classes. He feels called to be a pastor. He's praying about where, if that's going to be with us or, or somewhere else. But after he got uh, uh, baptized, and he, he had a, a big fight, and he invites me, come, Pastor, will you come, to, come watch me, you know? So I go to the octagon and uh, actually brought a, quite a few people from church. There was like 10 of us. And, uh, and I pray with him before. And then he comes out. He's the last fighter. And he comes out to this fight. You know, people have been doing all the things. And, and uh, he's playing a worship song as he comes out. It's like this very, it's this very like uh, mellow worship song, you know. And it's very funny. And he's wearing a Calvary Bible Institute Peru shirt as his walkout shirt, you know. And I'm like, oh, gosh, you know, he's good. It's great, you know. And he's about to punch this guy in the face and all that. <laughs> And he did. He actually kicked him in the face and knocked him out and won the fight. And I'm in the front row, you know. And after he wins, he preaches the gospel for like five minutes to the whole crowd, you know. And uh, it was awesome. And, 
And I thought, well, he won the fight, you know, he's okay, and the gospel is preached. Uh, but, but uh, you know, praise the Lord, as Paul would say, right? And, um, but now he's actually decided he's ended his, his, his career as a, a fighter. He's just running the gym and teaching, but he feels called to be a pastor. And so um, he's part of my pastoral discipleship group. Uh, a, we kind of have a special group for the senior pastors that we're identifying. So we have, we have 14 guys from our church that we're working with, and uh, we're excited. He's, uh, we're starting, another, as I told you, another Calvary Bible Institute to train pastors and missionaries in Brazil. And uh, I go there um, in about a month or a few weeks or something like that, and he's my traveling partner. So he's, he's my bodyguard also, you know, so... <laughs> Uh, so, so that's going to be great, you know, and just many stories like that. This is, this is my wife leading the, the kids' ministry on Easter, and she just did this again for Christmas, but uh, for the Christmas one, she did it in signs because actually one of the, the largest unreached people groups in the world are the deaf community, and uh, we have a, a girl from, she's actually from Columbia that loves her name, Sarah, working with the deaf, and, and uh, she has reached out to them, and we baptize uh, a lady, a first lady from, from that community, and now we have a, a whole deaf group that comes, and they, and they get the, the, the message and the worship with the signs, and, uh, and they've given us names, so mine is, you have a C for Corey, and they put it here, and they go like this, C, glasses, and beard, so that's my, that's my sign name, so... Um, and uh, Sarah, who works on, she was very offended because she said, they didn't give me a name for a year. They gave you a name first Sunday. I said, well, I don't know what to tell you, you know. Um, and, uh, and so, there, so and my wife's got a name now. A couple of our kids, as they're getting to know, but it's a really awesome ministry. And so that's our church. This is a class. This, would, this is one of our Bible classes at Calvary Bible Institute, Peru. So this Calvary Bible, Institute, in, Calvary Bible Institute Peru includes our church planting program, but it is a two-year program. It's bilingual, English and Spanish. We have students from Chile, Argentina, Bolivia, Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, Mexico, Honduras, United States, Canada, and Italy. We have a girl from Italy, uh, from Rome, Italy, so uh, she's our Roman. And, uh, but they all have a desire to take part in the Great Commission and they're passionate about being equipped in the word of God, but also being trained for church planting. And so we have pastors come for blocks at a time, and they'll come and teach uh, to our students, and then they, they are serving in the local church. They're taking part in missions, uh, mission trips. They do our church planting class, once a week class, to train to be pioneers for new works. Then we begin to identify the leaders, and we build prayer groups. So this semester we have, if I remember, we have our pastor who's going to plant a church in Chile, leading one of his group with a group of people. We have the one going to Maracay, Venezuela. He's going to be planting a church in Venezuela. Uh, we have the Argentina group because we're hoping to start a, a Bible Institute in, in Argentina in the coming years. And then we have one uh, for our school and children's homes. That's another work that we want to plant locally. And so that's our, our vision. That's how we do it. Um, and and we, we have, like I said, we have people from Latin America but we also have people from North America, and we want to be a training hub where people can come and be trained for missions and for church planting and to go out and fulfill the Great Commission. So that's our school. We also uh, host the, the missions conference for Calvary Chapel for all of South America. This is actually the first one we did a few years ago. It's, it's grown way beyond that. We had almost 500 people come to our town in Peru from all over the world to be encouraged and, and inspired and equipped and, and really sent out. Uh, for the, the Great Commission. And we have some great pictures. These are just some pictures of pastors came from every country. I think almost every, except for some of those little, like Papua New Guinea. I don't know if we had anybody from French Guinea or anything but, like that. But almost every major country people came and they're just catching the vision for the Great Commission and for church planting through this conference. And you can actually look it up um, on Calvary Chapel Magazine online. They did a wonderful article on this conference. Uh, it really ministered. And this is, this is our Sunday morning sanctuary um, so we do our conferences here. We do Sunday mornings here. We're, we've been absolutely packed on Sundays. And um, you can see all the flags up there. So we have all of the, the South American countries and then other countries that we're connected to. And, and it's been beautiful. We, have, uh, we also have a very um, international, multicultural church, people from all the different nations. We had one couple, and, and they were from Argentina, and they were really discouraged. And they, they said they almost stopped going to church. But we said, let's try this church. And she said, we walked in, and we saw the flags, and we just felt like this is a place that we could call home. And so we've got people from all over the world coming, growing, falling in love with Jesus, but then being trained and equipped to go out and, and plant churches uh, throughout the world. So that's, that's our home base with Calvary Trujillo and Calvary Bible Institute Peru. 
with our church planting program. That's all inclusive under the umbrella of Gospel South America, uh, our ministry to reach the nations. And then to see some of our works, this was our first church plant. This is my wife and I with Angel and Jenny. They were Venezuelan immigrants. They came to us, and they were, they were hurting for sure, but we got to, I got to officiate their wedding, uh, and then they became our very first students at our school, our first graduates, and then Angel is an amazing pastor. He, began, he was my assistant at first, and then he planted his own church um, in another part of our city, Trujillo, and unfortunately, Venezuelans are very prejudiced. There's a lot of prejudice against them in Peru, um, they, you know, blaming them for things like crime and different things, and so a lot of Venezuelans didn't feel welcome in the churches, but they did in ours, and especially did when my assistant pastor was a Venezuelan, and now he's got his own church, and it's meant for everybody, but the Venezuelans love having a place they can go to, and so his church is just exploding. Here's a picture of, we came over for a worship night. It's like overflowing out the back door of this building that we helped them get set up, and it's just Venezuelans are just feeling they have a place where they can come and know the Lord and feel like this is my church and somewhere I'm welcome, so it's, it's just a beautiful church, and then our guy who wants to go back to Venezuela is training in our program, but he's now his assistant pastor. So it's just like it says, you know, you find faithful men who can teach others, and Angel is now training up somebody who wants to go back to Venezuela and plant a church, and they just baptized. Here's a picture of their baptism. They baptized 18 people recently. Uh, it's a poor area. There's a ton of kids. This is their, their kids' ministry, and that's, his name is Santiago, and we got to meet his family. They were very, uh, when she was pregnant, she was malnourished and starving. You can actually see his fingers, his, his hands and his feet are, are malformed, but we got to start ministering to that family and delivering them food and different things for the, for, the, for the pregnancy and the baby. And then they used to be, he used to be a part of our church and we love him, but when we planted the, 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 the Venezuelan church, his parents were part of that leadership team. They went from us being part of that church planting team. And so now, I mean, they do kids events and uh, these are actually older pictures. Their kids ministry is packed. There's kids who don't have school and don't have food, and they're reaching out to them. People are, you know, there's people doing drugs in the streets, and they're just gathering up all these kids off the streets. And we do events with them. We bring mission teams, and they'll get 100 kids just in the blink of an eye coming to their church. So it's really special. So that's, that's our, that's our, that was our first church plant out of our church. Uh, this is the next one that we did, which is in the Amazon jungle. This was, it's a little bit grainy, but it's the, it's the first Sunday at Calvary Moyobamba, that city in the jungle. That is the oldest Spanish settled city in the jungle. And um, we planted that last year and it's just doing incredible. This was me praying over our pastor. He's an American guy that we trained. He came from Colorado. He now speaks Spanish. He taught my midweek service for over a year before we sent him, did our church planting training, our Bible Institute. And this was me praying over him at a community outreach. They gave us their, their local coliseum and we did an outreach there and I got to represent him to the community and pray over him. And now his church looks something like this. And he's got his own building, and it's full of people from this jungle community. Incredibly exciting. And then they're just a few hours from the indigenous communities, and they're called the Awahun people. And Alfredo and his wife, Teolinda, which uh, in Spanish means beautiful God, Teolinda. And um, his dad was the first person to ever bring the gospel to their people, just one generation before. And he's become saved. Now he's the tribal leader and the pastor and the doctor and the pharmacists, and the engineer, and the architect. He's all of those things. Um, but it's really awesome. And so we go out there, and we work with them, and we do inductive Bible training with their leaders. Uh, we're actually translating it from Spanish to Awahun because a lot of these guys don't speak even Spanish very well. We found that out. My son's name is Noah, and that sounds like the word for woman in their language. So as we're calling for Noah, they think I'm calling for something else, you know, and it was very confusing at first. But... But we work with them, and we're just training them, how can you read and understand and study and then teach the Bible? And it's meant to do it without any extra resources like commentaries, because they don't have that. So we're developing that, and they will send, what they do is they actually, this is a picture of Alfredo and our pastor. He's the pastor on the right there of the church, and, and then Santiago is my assistant director at the school. But they will send their high schoolers, ages 12 to 17, to the city by themselves, maybe put five of them in one room so they can get a better education at the city because they're about four hours up the river. But what we want to do with our church plant in the main city is also have like a boys' home and eventually a girls' home too. But right now, Andrew being, uh, he's a single pastor, a boys' home to where they can come and study high school 
but have a better place to live, have a safer place to live, and also have a church and be discipled. And we know that God is going to raise them up. Some will be doctors or lawyers or whatever, engineers, but some of them are going to be called to be pastors. And this will give us an opportunity to work with them. And if they, if they want to, if they choose to, God leads them. They can do our Bible training and our church planting training. And then now we have indigenous pastors that can go back. He's invited me, Alfredo has said, yeah, come with me. It's about three weeks. You got to hike up two waterfalls and go this. I'm like, I think I need to get in a little bit of shape before I go with you there. But, but he's one of the main tribal leaders that spreads all the way from Peru and into Ecuador. And so it's an incredible opportunity. So that's another one of our church plants reaching the Amazon jungle. This is another one. Of, he's our next church planter in the middle right there is Julian. He's from Mexico. He came to us. He's got a master's degree in biology. He left it all to come and train with us. And now he teaches my Wednesday. He's probably going to get married here soon. And this was him on a vision tour to Concepcion, Chile. It's a, it's a country in the south of Chile. And probably next year, he's going to be planting that church, university town, totally different than the jungle, very expensive for South America, high education, but they desperately need Jesus there too. And so we want to plant a church in that community next year. We've also, uh, we, last year we established the first church, Calvary Chapel in Bolivia, and we're working with Pastor Rodolfo. He's on the white on this side. Where what we, One of the things we do is we scholarship Bolivian students who have you know, very little bit resources. So we've already trained his assistant pastor two years, sent him back. We have another young man with us, and we got another girl coming in this semester, but they're going to be the, the leaders and the pastors of the church in Santa Cruz, Bolivia, but also to plant churches all over. The young guy I got now, he wants to go back to his hometown and plant a Bible-teaching church where he comes from because he says, we don't have it. And so that's how we're reaching all these different countries and all these different nations. And then what's happening in March, so about six weeks from now, comes out of this with the Brazilian pastors. Again, 220 of 440 million South Americans live in Brazil. 50% live in Brazil and 50% speak Portuguese. And so we can't reach South America if we're not reaching Portuguese speakers. And so this was the pastor's conference, and they asked us to, to help them. And, and they needed a Bible, and so they needed to train pastors, and they needed to train church planters. And we did, my wife and I at first said, no, we can't do this in Brazil. How this is crazy. But God told us to go, and we're working with one of the, the main pastors, and the, the, the building is just about ready. We, have, um, every, we only have two open spots for students and we have a full teaching schedule this year, and it starts on March 4th. I'll be going there and teaching the first class. And then some of you know David Guzik. Uh, he's actually teaching our second class in, at the Calvary Bible Institute in Brazil. And so this is, these are the pastors that we're, uh, we're going to be working with. Let's see if I can get that. There it goes. Uh, these are the pastors of, of Brazil that have asked us for help. So I've been doing seminars with them, training them on how to work, develop church planters and pastors, and we can't wait for CBI Brazil to start next month. And then this is our last graduating class, just to give you an idea. So uh, these six graduates, Jessica is from Mexico, from Rosarito. You guys actually did a trip to her church recently. And uh, she's now a missionary with us. Julian is my, my guy from Sonora, Mexico, who's going to be planting in Chile. Claudio is from Bolivia. He was our first Bolivian graduate. He's now the assistant pastor of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz. Uh, then my, my wife and I, and then Vanessa is from Peru. She's one of our missionaries. Uh, that is Acacia. She's from Canada. I'm not allowed to tell you where she is, but she is now living in the Middle East currently as a missionary in the Middle East. So we helped train her, and she went even farther than we imagined. And then Millie, the tall one here on the right, she is part of that uh, church planting team in, the, in Moyobamba, in the jungle. So we sent Pastor Andrew, who's from America, Millie, who's from Mexico, and then another girl from Peru and another guy from Venezuela. And that was our four-person team. And they're just doing an incredible job reaching that community in Moyobamba. So, <laughs> amen. Glory to God. And that's, so that's what we're doing. And to finish this up, to bring this home for us as a church Ian, you know, we're from California, but God is doing an incredible work here in Palos Verdes. And I just have a, an easy rhetorical question that I know you already know the answer to, but does God love these people? And, and the reason we ask it is because we want to have God's heart for the people of this world. And as I said, he loves the people of Palos Verdes. He loves you, but he loves every person in this world. And God is too great. Jesus is too great for one city or for one church. The whole world needs Jesus. And Jesus loves the whole world. I mean, the famous verse that we all know, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. He loves every single person in this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He loves the whole world. You know, 2 Peter 9 talks about that he wants no one to perish but all come to repentance. I love Romans 5, 8, where it says God demonstrates his own love toward us 
and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before we ever did anything good, anything spiritual, God shows how much he loves us and that he sent his son to die for us. And that's the same for every single person on this world. He loves them. He died, he sent his son to die for them. 1 Timothy 2.4 says that he, he desires that all be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And I love Romans 8.29 because here it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he, Jesus, might be the firstborn among many brethren. And I love this because if you look at this, what, what God is saying here, what the word of God is saying is that Jesus is the son of God, but he's meant to be the first among a great big family of brothers and sisters that are adopted from every corner of the world. And God's desire is to have a real love relationship with as many sons and daughters as possible to enjoy that relationship, enjoy that love for all eternity. And one day we're going to be in heaven and we are going to be worshiping the Lord, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. But God wants as many kids as possible to be there. And he has called us to be a part of welcoming them in to the family. This is God's heart, you know. And Jesus, this is from John chapter 11 with Lazarus. He knows that Lazarus is going to come back to life, but he still weeps over the condition and the, and the, and the sin and the, and the destruction of people. Jesus loves every person in this world. He loves them. And he has a compassion for our situation. And, and when we talk about compassion, compassion is seeing somebody in a needy place or someone who is hurting and being moved emotionally, but more than just emotionally, being moved to action. It's like if we were to walk out and, and you walked down the street outside and you saw a kid who was starving and didn't have any clothes and he's sitting in the rain, you would be moved with compassion. You would have to do something to help this child because you saw their situation and realized they have a desperate need and you have to do something about it. Well, that's how God sees every single person in this earth weary and scattered sheep hurting who need Jesus. And he has called us as his disciples and his followers to be his hands and feet, to go into the world. And there's people who need it here in Los Angeles, but boy, do they need it in South America, in Peru, and all over the ends of the earth. That's God's heart. And with that love and that compassion, we need to see the command. What has God said? What has God commanded children to do. And we already saw it in Matthew 28. You also see it here in, at the end of Mark 16 that he told his disciples to go into where? All of the world. All of the world because the whole world needs him to preach the gospel and everyone who believes and is baptized would be saved. I love what it says here in Matthew chapter 9. This is one of my favorite verses and one of the things I want to ask you to pray for today. But it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with what? With compassion. He had compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. He looked out on this multitude of people. He had followed him. They were looking for him. And he saw that they were hurt. They were wounded. That they were weary. They were scattered. They were harassed. And he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Jesus didn't look at a, a lost and broken world and get angry or upset or frustrated. He looked out and had compassion and said they need their good shepherd. They need to know the love of Christ. And he said, look, there are so many people who are ready. And that's our experience in South America. There are people all over South America, people calling me, asking for a church, asking for help. And you go and we, we just planted the church in Moyobama. It's already filling with people who have been saying, I've just been waiting for something like this. I've been waiting for a church like this. But what is the one thing that he says to pray for? What is the, the resource that's lacking? And I tell this, if you're going to pray for us for one thing, we need one thing. We need called and committed servants of God. We need called and committed people who are going to lay down their life and follow Jesus and obey this great commission. If, if someone asks me to plant a church, I say, pray that God sends me a called and committed pastor and team. If I have that, we can do it. We will reach this city. But what we need are people who are going to respond to this great commission and say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. Jesus said, there are people waiting. But the problem is the laborers are few. So what's the, what do we do? We do what he says right here. 
We pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers. I just pray that God will send me more and more called people because we will prepare them and equip them and send them and reach these cities if we have those people. So please pray with me for that. But you see that Jesus' heart is compassion. You see that he has called us. You see in Acts 1.8 that we are called. It says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be his witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. They started in Jerusalem, and you can see the progression in the book of Acts. They didn't always obey, actually, but God was faithful to get them where he wanted to be so that the world might know about him. And we are called to be this word for witness here. It's actually in Greek, it's martus, and it means to be a martyr. It means to be someone who says, I am laying my life down now for the cause of Christ, to do his work, to do his will, to be his ambassador. He says that you are going to be my witnesses. You are going to be the ones who lay down your lives and go because in, in where you start, you're Jerusalem. For you guys, Palos Verdes. But not just here. The whole world needs it. To Judea, to Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And we are all called to be that. And the last verse I'm gonna show with you before we close out today, right here in Matthew 16, 18. I love this verse because for me, this is one of the key Verses that show me that church planting is a wonderful way in God's way, really, to fulfill the Great Commission. Look what it says. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, the rock being his confession just before this, that you, Jesus, are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Upon that confession, upon that reality of who Jesus is, upon this rock, Jesus says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. As God calls us to be a part of the Great Commission, first off, I know that he is going to build his church. I just have to follow Jesus. I just have to obey him. As we are trying to plant churches and people say, do you sleep? Or you say, I do sleep. You know, sometimes, and, uh, but we do. And, but the key is, is he will build his church. I just have to obey him and follow him and say, here I am, Lord, send me. And he's gonna build it. He is going to build it. And you know what? If we're involved in the churches that God wants to plant, He said, Jesus said, I will build my church and not even the gates of hell, not even Satan can overcome it. And really the language here, it's an attacking language. It's like the kingdom of darkness and Satan have stolen people away. They are prisoners in his kingdom and we need to go into that kingdom and storm the gates of hell and rescue those people out by preaching the gospel, making disciples, establishing churches that will teach the word of God and bringing people from darkness to light. And if we follow Jesus in that mission, Satan can't stop us. But we have to believe him and we have to follow him. That's why I love planting churches as part of the Great Commission because we have this promise. And I'm gonna leave you with two quotes this morning. The first one I already said but I'm gonna say it again from the great missionary Hudson Taylor. The great commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. When I wanted to plant the church in tree, I talked to actually Pastor David Guzik about it. And one thing he said to me, he said, Corey, don't forget, Jesus already told you to go. Let's not overcomplicate this. And I said, that's true, isn't it? You know, It's it's not an option to be considered. It's a command to be obeyed. And this one I love. We love Amy Carmichael. What an inspiration. And she said, we have all eternity to celebrate the victories, but only a few hours before sunset to win them. All of the saints, all of those who have been saved by the precious blood of Jesus, we are going to be in heaven in that heavenly scene around the throne with every tribe and every tongue and every nation worshiping God and enjoying his presence in in perfection for all eternity. It's going to be glorious and wonderful. And we say Maranatha and we can't wait. But don't forget, this life is a breath. We are here for a very short time. We have a few short hours to bring as many people as possible with us. And God wants that family to be as big as it possibly can. And that is our calling. And that is our mission as his followers until we're with him in that beautiful heavenly scene. Amen? So how can we live the Great Commission? Just a few practical things. One, please pray with us for laborers. We need courageous, bold laborers who are gonna go out and do the work of pioneers, storm the gates of hell. That is the, that is the, the, the resource we need. People who are saying, yes, Lord, send me. And we will train them and we will equip them and we will send them. But the people, all these places that need churches and need the gospel, we just need the laborers who are willing to lay down their life. Will you guys pray for us for that, please? And then next, pray for God's heart, the lost in the world. Pray for a broken heart and much compassion. He was moved with compassion that led to action. 
And we need to let the Lord Jesus touch our hearts this morning that we might have his love for every person in this world and that we would be moved from compassion into practical action. So pray for those things. Uh, Third, how can you live it? You can give. You can support a missionary. You can support a church planter. You can sponsor one of our Bible scholars students. You can give to the work. There's frontline workers and there's backline support. You need both things to win a war. And that's a big part of how you can be involved. If you feel like God is putting your heart, I, I prayed with multiple people after first service, but get involved. Plug into your church. Talk to Pastor Daniel. Talk to the pastors. Become a servant here. And then say, what is the path of me being a part of the Great Commission, of me being a foreign missionary. We, that's what we do. We're working with multiple American couples right now to get them set up for long-term success on the mission. But you start right here. You start by being that faithful servant in your church and working with your pastor. And then finally, you can go. You can be a part of a short-term mission team and ask the Lord, maybe it's something more than short-term. Because real mission work, real impact happens when there's long-term commitment from people. So what I, I'm, we're so thankful to be here. And I just want to ask, will you guys commit to praying with us for laborers, praying for us that we would have the commission? Will you guys just, if you'll commit to remember to pray for more labor in South America, will you raise your hand this morning? We need more and more people who want to go and be a part of this. So as we commit to pray, let me finish out this morning. I want to pray with you guys, pray that you might be led on how you can be involved but also on how praying that God will raise up really an army of laborers to reach South America and the rest of the world with his gospel and with his grace. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. And thank you for your word. Thank you for the privilege of being a part of this great commission. And God, I want to ask, I do want to ask that you would touch our hearts, Lord, and that we would have your heart, that we would... As the great preacher Jonathan Edwards said, that we would stamp our eyes with eternity, Lord, and that we would have your compassion for this world. There's all sorts of problems, Lord, but we don't want to be frustrated, Lord. We want to be moved with compassion so that we might go and share the gospel and share your love and share your grace, that people might be saved and forgiven and be a part of your family, Lord. So God, would you move in our hearts and give us your heart, give us your compassion, Lord. And we want to ask, Lord, that you would raise up more and more people who would say this life is but a breath. There are just a few short hours. And Lord, whatever it is you want to do in my life, I just say yes, Lord. Lord, would you raise up laborers? The harvest is plentiful. It's plentiful in Peru and in Brazil, all across South America. There's so many people waiting, Lord. And what we need are people who are going to be called and committed, Lord, to the great commission, to following you. God, would you raise up those laborers, God? Would you give us strength and boldness to do that, Lord? We just thank you for this morning, Lord, and now as we worship you, Lord, may it just be a sweet fragrance to you, and may you be glorified, Lord, and may many, many more people come to know you. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.